The team, again, I thank you for your worship and helping us to honor the Lord this morning. Take your Bibles and let's find Colossians chapter 3. As we ever so slowly, it seems like, working our way through this book, um, thinking of that song and the setup for our, our message today, 1 Peter 1, 3 says this, Praise be to God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In His great mercy, He has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Good word this morning. You almost go home on that one verse, can't we? Praise to the Father. Why? He gave us His Son, and what did that do, the, the work of the Son do? Brought us new life, new birth, which gives us hope. Why would we have hope? Because of the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Matter of fact, if you chase over into Romans, it goes, for we have been united with Him in the likeness of His death. This is the good part. And we will certainly be in the likeness of His resurrection. Colossians 3, verses 1 through 4. Simply read this. If you have been raised with Christ, seek the things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on the things of above, not on earthly things, for you died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. And when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with Him in glory. Four short verses. But you notice verse 1 begins with this, so if. And if is this conditional clause. I want you to chase back up with me just briefly to chapter 2, and look what verse 20 says. Chapter 2, verse 20 goes... If you died with Christ, you see that, underline that. If you died with Christ and come right back down to chapter 3, verse 1, so if you have been raised with Christ. What did we just celebrate here? We celebrated the death, the burial, the resurrection of Christ. This is the gospel. And Colossians, or yes, Colossians 2.20 tells us if we have died with Christ, then Colossians 3.1 tells us we'll be raised with Christ. Folks, that's just good news this morning. What we celebrate in the death of Christ, we also celebrate in the resurrection of Christ. Old things passing away, all things becoming new. That new life actually settles in upon us. Are you familiar with the verse out of John 8? If the Son of Man sets you free, you are Free indeed. I was having lunch this week with a, a dear brother of mine already in these few short weeks, and he and I were talking about kind of our experiences of how we've grown up and the environment we grew up in. And I remember him saying to me this week, he said, sometimes I wish I had that testimony of people who had been far away from the Lord. You're, some of you are shaking your head. You know what I'm talking about, don't you? Sometimes people have been living a far and a faraway land like a prodigal who just was always far away. And then God saved them and redeemed them out of this desperate life, out of a pig pen, out of all of this sin and debauchery. And my friend said this week, he said, sometimes I wish I had a testimony like that. And here's what the Lord impressed upon me this week. 
The testimony of new life isn't what he saved us from as far as our sinful acts and deeds and all that we got involved in. You know what he saved us from? He saved us from death. And death is death. Dead is dead. No one goes, let me tell you how I died when they've been resurrected to life. They just tell you how they've lived. Folks, can I beg you this morning, don't focus and try to have the testimony of another. The testimony of all of us was and is we were dead in our sins and our trespasses. That's our testimony. But when you died with Christ, you've been raised with Christ, and you've been given new life. You're in, uh, you're in Colossians. Turn left with me for a few, moments, few books. Go over to Ephesians chapter 4. Pretty familiar passage of Scripture. If you go to chapter 2, Ephesians 2, and pick it up in verse 4, it says, But God, who is rich in mercy, because of His great love that He had for us, here's our word, isn't it? Made us alive with Christ, even though we were dead in trespasses. You were saved by grace. He also raised us up with Him and seated us with Him in the heavens in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages He might display His immeasurable riches of His grace through His kindness to us in Christ Jesus. For you are saved by grace through faith, and this is not from yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, so that none of us can boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared ahead of time for you and I to do. Did you catch the central theme of this passage? He raised us from death in our sins and trespasses. And he gives us life, and not just life, he gives us his life. His life. And let me submit to us this morning that when God gives us new life, it's not just new steps. It's not new habits. It's not just new ways of thinking or new motives for behaving. It's not even um, just new principles of life. While we do get some of those things, He gives us new life for new life. Life in place of death. All of those habits and ways and principles and thoughts, sure, they're the byproduct of a new life, but they're not the goal of a new life. The goal of new life is to overcome death. We were dead in our trespasses, but we we're raised with Christ. Why? So that we could have new life. Do you have new life this morning? Anybody have new life this morning? Three of us? We're not talking about death. We're talking about life. Life. Vibrant. Fresh. I read this week, a preacher of old said, Oh, how God must have hated our old life to abolish it by giving us His Son. And oh, how He must how we must be loved in this new life that He rescues us and make us partakers of life in His Son. You understand this? God, not willing that any should perish, 
None. Not God, not willing that any in this room and in this world, that any of us should perish, sends his son to make the supreme sacrifice on our behalf. And you go, preacher, I've heard that all of my life. I've heard that before. But what I want us to capture and catch this morning is that when he gives us new life, we get his identity. Christ who died also on the third day, what? Rose from the dead. And when we accept Christ as our Savior, we who were dead in sins and trespasses then become alive in Christ. Matter of fact, take your Bibles and let's go to the left again. Go over to the book of Romans. Long chapter, but I want you to look at chapter 8 for just a second. Romans chapter 8, it begins in verse 1, and you'll see in your Bibles the very first word of chapter 1 is therefore. And I always tell our students in the Bible, anytime you see the word therefore, you ask yourself, what's it there for? That means you have to go backwards, but you have to do that on your time, not mine this morning, all right? We're sticking with verse 1, therefore, there is now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. Do I get a witness today? There is therefore now, when? Right now, those who have been raised to life, there is no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. Why? Because the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. What the law could not do since it is weakened by the flesh, God did. He condemned in sin in the flesh by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh as a sin offering. In order, circle that, in order that the law's requirement would be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. What's that verse mean? We don't walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Because we were dead and now brought to life, brought to new life in who? In Christ. We walk according to that. He goes on, he says, For those who live according to the flesh, they have their minds set on the things of the flesh. And those who live according to the Spirit, they have their minds set on the things of the Spirit. Paul's right there. Let me ask you this question. What are you thinking about? Do you think more about this earth than you do about heaven? Do you think more about your life than you do about his life? Do you think about what you need more than what he has purposed you for? He goes on in verse 6, he says, Now the mindset of the flesh is death, but the mindset of the Spirit is life and peace. The mindset of the flesh is hostile to God because it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it is unable to do so. Now those who are in the flesh, they can't please God. You, however, you're not in this flesh, but you're in the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God lives in you. If anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. Now if Christ is in you, the body is dead because of sin. But the Spirit gives life because of righteousness. Isn't that good? Let me finish this up. And in the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead, He lives in you. Then He who raised Christ from the dead will also bring your mortal bodies to life through the Spirit who lives in you. Here's what I want us to understand this morning. New life today, new life in Christ today, is fundamental to our living in every way. If you and I are going to have joy and purpose, if you and I are going to have promise and hope, 
then the new life of Christ has to become fundamental to us. Not optional. Fundamental. I'll give you three things that will help us this morning. New life in Christ. Some metrics to help you understand if you really have new life. A new life in Christ will change your desires. It'll change you. Go back to verse 1 with me for just a moment in Colossians 3. So if you have been raised with Christ, seek the things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Go back to just that very first line. So if you have been raised with Christ, here's what's intriguing to me. It doesn't say since you have raised yourself in Christ. It says you have been raised. If God does all the saving, God does all the keeping. And if you and I could earn our righteousness before God, the death of Christ on a cross would have been unnecessary. But we all have sinned, fallen short of the glory of God. We could not match that holy standard, could we? So God in His great love sent His Son to pay for the sin debt you and I that could not pay for and when he died and rose again, those of us that trust him as our Lord and Savior, guess what we do? We rise with him. God does all the saving, and God gives all the giving of new life. It's all about him. We had nothing to do this. This is God's work. It's not our effort. But notice it says, you have been raised. Have been it's a, declar it's a declarative, I can speak, can I? I do this for a living. It's a declaration of certainty. You have been. As sure as you're looking at each other today, as sure as you're taking an air in this space today, Colossians 3, 1 says, if you have been raised with Christ, you have new life. Which gives us hope about the eternal dwelling of God. Because you see what it says in verse, the last part of verse 3? So seek the things above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Man, I love that line. How many of you remember one of the, some of the seven sayings on the cross? I learned those seven sayings by listening to my dad preach. He, used to, he did a series a number of times on the seven sayings of the cross. And do you remember one of those sayings? Christ cried out with a loud voice. Anybody know it? It is finished. He didn't say it is almost done. He didn't say it's near completion. He said it is finished. The work is completed. What work? The work of salvation. The work of bringing new life to you and I. The work of redeeming us by the love of the Father. That work was finished by the complete work of Christ on a cross. And it says he was buried, right? In a borrowed tomb. And on the third day, he rose again. Just pause right here. I'm I'll take a quick commercial. Anytime you go into the Word of God, you're going to find about 45 times a phrase that says on three days or in three days or after three days. Remember that? Jonah in the belly of the fish for how long? Three days. Christ... Three days. Anytime you find this phrase in Scripture, it's always the promise of something new getting ready to happen. It's always the promise of hope coming our direction. Jesus Christ suffered and died on a cross, was buried in a borrowed tomb, but on the third day, new hope rose. 
And Christ got up and walked out of that grave, spent 40 days walking on this earth in a glorified body, and then ascends back to the Father. Remember what he says in John, don't you? I'm going, this is such good hope. I'm going to prepare a place for you so that where I am, you may be with me also. But when he ascended back to the Father, it says that he has, he sat down at the right hand of God. Do you know what the posture of sitting down means? The work is done. The seated Christ at the right hand of the Father tells us positionally and tells us confidently that everything that needed to be secured for your salvation and for mine is done because Jesus has sat down at the right hand of the Father. Now look what happens. He says in verse 1, notice it, you've been raised with Christ and because you've been raised, He wants us to take our attention and focus it towards heaven. But not just heaven so that it's the avoidance of hell. Not just heaven because of gates of pearl and streets of gold. Not just heaven because our loved one may, they, may be there. Heaven because of what it says, where we will see Christ seated at the right hand of God. Because in heaven, we understand the perfect Son of God ascended back to the Father and said, Father, I've done all that you've asked me to do. And you and I now can come home. You and I now have a way of coming from death to life. Just pause. Christ seated tells us his place of rule and honor. Christ seated at the right hand of God tells us of his supremacy and his sufficiency. Do you have new life today? If you do, worship the one who did all the work. Does that make sense to you? New life changes us. Second thing it does is it refocuses our attention. In verse 1 of chapter 3, he's addressing our seeking. Seek the things above. Look towards the things above. But in verse 2, it says, set your minds on things above. If verse 1 is about our seeking, verse 2 is about our thinking. It's what we, we begin to think. It's how we begin to shape our, our values and what we long for. The seeking of the things above reorients our affections. Thinking of the things above reorients our will and our mind. It's reshaping our processes. One of my, two of my favorite verses in all of Scripture is Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. How many of you know those two verses? Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge Him, and He will direct your path. You love those two verses like I do? So you want to play a little game with me for a moment? You're all our church people for the most part. You're here in church on this morning. How many of you would say you trust the Lord with all your heart? Anybody? Got you? Anybody? Now here's my next question. How do you know? How do you know if you're trusting the Lord with all your heart? Well, it's so good the text tells us. Trust the Lord with all your heart and lean not 
on your own understanding. If you really want to know if you're trusting the Lord, evaluate how much you think with your own understanding. What you think with your mind, what you think is best, what you prefer to do. If we trust the Lord with all of our heart, then we will lean upon His understanding, not our own. But if we lean to what we think is first, or want to do first, then we're really not trusting Him. Does that make sense to us? Well, trust the Lord with all your heart, lean not on your own understanding. How will I know if I'm not leaning on my own understanding? Because in Him, I will acknowledge in everything I do. Well, if I acknowledge Him with everything I do because I'm trusting Him in everything I have, what does God promise to do for us? He directs our path. Thinking impacts behavior. He says here, set your mind on the things above, not on earthly things. He wants this redemptive work of Christ to become part of the renewing of our mind. Romans 12, 1 and 2, right? By the renewing of your mind, we start to interpret this world based on a heavenly reality. There's an old southern gospel song that says, This world is not my home. I'm just passing through. Scripture says in this world we are strangers and aliens. Some of you are stranger than others, but we're strangers and aliens. This world is not home. But here's my problem. You and I tend to make it home, don't we? We tend to live as if this is all there is. We tend to live as if this is our purpose and this is our goal. Now I think of, of Hebrews chapter 11, one of the most famous passages of Scripture, some 40 verses of by faith and by faith, and you get it over and over and over, and finally you get to the end of the chapter and the writer goes, I don't even have time to tell you about all these other guys. He's listed all these great heroes of the faith because there's just a whole lot more. And then he goes into Hebrews 12, 1 and 2. He says, therefore, because of all these who live by faith in chapter 11, therefore, since we have such a large cloud of witnesses surrounding us, let us lay aside every hindrance and the sin that so easily ensnares us. Let us run with endurance the race that lies before us, keeping our eyes on Jesus. That's setting your eyes on things above, your mind on things above. Jesus, the pioneer, the perfecter of our faith. Folks, one of my, I think, I believe it was my mom, helped me with this illustration. In Roman culture, and it may still be practiced today in some parts of the world, in Roman culture though, when Scripture was written, and Paul would have understood this, if you murdered somebody, so Chris, I'll pick on you. Let's say you, you just, you, you committed a murder. In that culture, they would take the body of the person that you murdered and strap it to your back. And you would wear that body until it rotted off of you. Now here's the, I know that's really gross, isn't it? But here's the reality. The disease from the dead man would transfer to the live man. And the dead man would kill the live man. Does that make sense? You'd, you'd wear it everywhere you go. But when Paul says, deliver me of this body of death, it's that picture. Cast off the dead, decaying, rotten man off of me. Anybody want delivered a body of death today? Any man because of a, such a great a cloud of witnesses. 
I want to set my mind on things above, and I want to set my eyes on things above, not on things here on earth, because the things here on earth will always weigh us down. Things here on this earth that trap us in sin will always cause us to be out of step and out of focus with who God is. And when you come back to chapter 3, verse 2, set your minds on Christ, not on earthly things. And here's your third reason why. Because a new life in Christ will define your purpose. If He changes our desires and He refocuses our attention, a new life in Christ also defines purpose. And we get this out of verses 3 and 4. For you, you and I, you died. Look, did you notice, go back, chapter 2, verse 20. So if you died. Chapter 3, verse 1. So if you have been raised. But then when you get to chapter 3, verse 3, it says, for you died. Now we're dealing with a declarative statement. The first two were conditional, ifs. Now it's declarative. For if you died, your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with Him in glory. If you're in the habit of marking or underlining your Bibles, circle that word, that first word of verse 3, 4. For you died. Now we got declaration, but the four is the baseline. The four sets up for you and I why we seek the things above and why we set our minds on the things above. You tracking with me? Verse 1, set your mind on things above, right? What's above? Christ seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on what? earthly things. Why? For, circle four, you have died. That's the baseline. When you go back to verse chapter 2, verse 20 and 3, 1, you get the past. Been raised. Okay? All past tense. You get to 3, 3, life is hidden. Present tense. You get to 3, 4, you will appear with His glory. Future tense. This little word for becomes the baseline for everything you and I do. We were dead. We have been raised. We live life hidden in Christ. And one day we will appear with Him as He is. And this life hidden in Christ, it signifies to you and I that we have a relationship with Christ. Life hidden means that I have a relationship with Him. It gives me the security of His salvation. Here's what I love about this. Christ saved me from my sin. Do I get a witness in the room today? Christ has saved us from our sin. But what I've said to you in the past, I've said it already today. If Christ does all of the saving, then Christ does all of the keeping. And you'll say to me, Pastor, are you saying that you believe in eternal security? Yes, I do, because I have an eternal Father, and I have an eternal Savior who paid an eternal debt to provide for me eternal salvation. And I didn't earn it by my good works, and I can't lose it 
by my bad works, because it's not about me, it's about him. So I set my eyes on the things above, I set my mind on the things above. It changes everything about us. New life changes everything. And then look what happens in verse 4. Now when Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with Him in glory. Anybody believe with me today that the days are getting dark? Wow. It feels a little tough out there some days, doesn't it? This feels pretty safe and secure. But this world is not our home, nor is it our friend. Our life hidden in Christ. Understand this, hidden, covered by the blood of Christ. Secure in the work of Christ. Redeemed by the person of Christ. Secured in the position of Christ. That's a good sermon outline right there. All of that is in place for us. And yet here we are in this world. Don't you wish sometimes the Lord would just save you, knock you in the head and take you on to heaven when you die? I mean, it would be a whole lot easier, right? But no, 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 no. We have in this life, these, this life in jars of clay, these earthen vessels. Why? Because we get to give testimony to the glory and the greatness of God. Bible says if we don't praise him, the angels will. Let's just tell the angels we got this one, right? You and I, where we live today in broken lives, hidden in the person and the work of Christ, we go, I will live for him. My life will honor him. His testimony will be a priority. That people, when they see me, they see him. It says, when Christ, who is your life. Did you love that? When Christ, who is your life. When he appears, we will appear with him in glory. I think the promise of heaven, the security of that hope, that one day we'll live eternally with Him, the avoidance of hell. While all of that is critical and all of that is important, one reason I believe on this earth, in these mortal bodies, why God gives us this promise, why He asks us to look at the things above and to think of the things above, is because on this earth, we need to live with a gospel urgency. It's not about us being secured. It's not about us being prepared one day. It's about us living for the testimony and the glory of Christ so that those around us may know Him, so that those around us may be saved, so that those around us will see of the great love of the work of God in our life and will go, I would like to have what you have. Does hope reign within you so much that it spills out? that it's attractive to other people. I looked at these four verses and I thought about a new life and thinking about heaven and where Christ is and, and, and anticipating that day. 
But what difference does it make here on this earth? How, do we, how are you and I going to leave here today and apply this thing? I'll give you three things. And you may be able to apply it a different way, but at least these I think are helpful. The new life we have in Christ and the promised return of Christ helps us to live as citizens of heaven. This world's temporary. But you're going to live somewhere forever. And those of us that know Christ is our Lord, He's our, Scripture calls us, calls Him our King of kings and Lord of lords. You know what I know about a king? Every king has a country. And every country has citizens. You and I, who profess Christ as our Lord and Savior, He is our King, and we are His citizens. And every citizen has responsibilities. Proclaim Him today. Second thing I think this passage helps us to do is to live with hope in this world. Sure, it's dark. Sure, we're railed against and persecuted and not anything like some of our brothers and sisters are around the world. Sure, people displace us and dismiss us. But I have a Savior whose name is Jesus. Died for my sins and on the third day rose again. And today is seated at the right hand of the Father, preparing a place for me. And one day, one day, He's coming to get me. And there I'll rule and reign with Him forever. And I pray that you have that same confidence this morning, that you have professed Him as Lord and Savior, and you know that with all of your heart today. And if you do, if you do, you'll do the number three. You will live your life with a gospel urgency. When's the last time you've told anybody about the hope that lives within you? He won't like it, and I think I've already shared the story with you once before, but it's appropriate for today. My dad, growing up, um, he didn't cook. Couldn't boil the water. He can now. But growing up, he couldn't boil the water, nor did he go to the grocery store. Left all of that uh, to my mom and the rest of us in the house. But he didn't go shopping. He didn't get it, do those things. And I remember one night at the house... I was still living at home, and Dad gets up about 8.30 at night. And if you live in Millersburg, Ohio, you need to understand this. The only thing that really is happening in Millersburg, Ohio, and Andrew Yoder, I'll get a witness on this one, is Walmart. It's like Mecca. If you want to meet anybody, you want to see anybody, you want to talk to anybody, you go to Walmart. Well, I'll never forget, it was about 8.30 at evening, and I see Dad get up, and he puts his shoes on. And I go, Dad, where are you going? I'm going to Walmart. Dad, you don't go to Walmart. It's 8.30 at night. Why are you going to Walmart? And he said, because I haven't shared the gospel with anybody today. And off he went. And I've told that story so many times, I'm sure someone got accosted in the bread aisle that night. He lives his life with such a gospel urgency, 
a couple of weeks ago, he was at breakfast and a 70-some-year-old lady was there with a friend of theirs. And dad asked the question that he always asked, if you died today, where would you go? She says, I don't know. And in Burger King, a 73-year-old lady, I believe, accepted Christ as her Savior. Folks, do you live with a gospel urgency? The hope that was is within you, if it is hope, and if it is new life, it will come out of you. If we're trapped in death, there'll be no hope and there'll be no life. So where are you today? If you have died and then you have been raised, this is what you get to look forward to. I look at these elements, the body and the blood, the death and the burial of Christ. I look at the text we just read about the resurrection of Christ. Folks, I will not miss the opportunity this morning to invite you to know him. I don't know where you've been. I don't know what your journey is. I don't know how you grew up. It really doesn't matter. All I ask is at this moment in time on this day, do you know him? Has there ever been a point in time where you've accepted Christ as your Savior? Where you know that if you died today because of his completed work, heaven is your home and you've passed from death to new life. And if you have never made that decision today, well, can we just do this with your heads bowed and your eyes closed? Someone's going, you're going Baptist on me. That's all right. Brace yourself. I'm not going Baptist. I'm going gospel. If in this room today you've never accepted Christ as your Savior, would you simply pray a prayer from your heart that says, Lord, I know I'm a sinner and I need a Savior. And I trust for you to do for me what I cannot do for myself. I surrender my life to you. I ask you to forgive me of my sin. And receive me into the promise of heaven. And I'm just going to call you out if you prayed that prayer today for the very first time. And you mean it. Just raise your hand. Nobody else is looking. Just raise your hand. Very <laughs> Two. Who else? Now let me tighten this circle just a little bit. We've got people in this room today who accepted Christ as their Savior who've been walking with Him for a long time, but you've lost that gospel urgency. Is there anybody in the room this morning that will just agree with me and go, Father, would you quicken my heart and would you help me to be more faithful to share your gospel with someone this week? Anybody? Anybody praying that today? Give me opportunity to share the gospel this week. Father, for those that have been saved this morning, we give you praise. And we ask that you will draw these two close to you, that you will give them the assurance and the confidence of your salvation. Give them new hope today. For those of us that have walked with you for a long time, would you quicken our spirits, renew our minds, set our eyes on the things above, and give us the confidence to share your hope with all those around us. In Jesus' name I pray. What about it, church? Amen.